you have your Bibles with you, please open them to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 10. <clears throat> we are going to complete another chapter today, which is kind of remarkable. Uh, it's, uh, it's amazing that we finished this chapter so much more quickly than chapter 9, which is, I think, the longest chapter in the, the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to finish that off this morning. By way of introduction, uh, before I read the actual passage, will be, which will be the verses 38 to 42 at the very end, a very familiar passage. I want to start off, as I typically do from time to time, by asking some questions. And so the question I have to begin with, it, it, where would be the place that you would go off the top of your head? Where would you go tomorrow or this afternoon to, to find out and look for the keys to life success? You know, like, I, I think most of us, you know, we get up every day and we're like, okay, I want today to be better than yesterday, and, and I've got dreams for my life. Where would you go? Where would you go to find out where the keys to success in life would be? Or, for example, the top five essentials for human flourishing. Well, if any of you remember your, your high school years uh, and you've got some basic uh, graduation uh, certificates, you're going to remember that there are five basic elements that every human being needs, okay? And it's a little bit of a science project to start here. But number one, we all need air, right? We need oxygen, which, by the way, we don't produce. It's just, it's there. Go figure. We need oxygen, we, we need water, we need food, we need shelter, and we need sleep. Those, by, from scientific perspectives, are the, the five essential elements that every human being needs. So we know that. But for the most part, other than you know, having to do something to you know, prepare our food or to put a roof over our heads where we need to be active, um, you know, in most of those cases, it's already provided for us miraculously, isn't it? So we have those basic elements there are also, some of you might have been, you know, psychology students, you know, post-high school, and you might have learned about Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. He has a pyramid, right? Like it's a triangle, right? And, and it starts at the bottom, and then it builds it up to what he considers the pinnacle, you know, the, the things that you need in human life in order for you to flourish as a human being. And if you've studied that, you will know that, number one, at the very base layer, he talks about the, all of us needing physiological needs, We've kind of talked about them, and he would qualify those as being food, water, warmth, and rest, right? So those are the basic elements that every one of us needs. And then he would move up to the next level, and he would say, well, what humans need to flourish and to be successful and happy in life is they need safety needs. They have needs for safety, which means security and protection. And then the next level up would be belonging and love needs. We need intimate relationships. We need friendships. All true, right? These are all, these are all true. Fourth, we need... Now, this is where it gets a little iffy, but it's Maslow. He's the hierarchy. This is what they teach you in school today. You need esteem needs, right? You need prestige. You need feelings of accomplishment. And fifthly, at the very top of the pyramid, you need self-actualization. It's awesome. You didn't think you were coming to a positive mental attitude seminar, did you? You're not. But it, it, so he would say, you need, you need, you need to have a, a, at the peak. You need to achieve your potential in order to be happy and successful in this life. You, ha- you need to have goals, right? You need to achieve your potential. You need to have creative activities. Finally, and building on that thinking, let me give to you uh, what I read in Psychology Today's most recent top five keys to life success. Psychology Today, popular magazine, read by many millions and millions of people. And they would say this, in order for Maslow's theory to work out in your life, you need the following things. You need to set goals, right? You need to stand for something. You need to have a purpose. Stand for something. 
Not too many people do that publicly these days, do they? Uh, you need to forgive yourself. That's interesting. You need to be a warrior. And finally, you need to leave a mark. You, know? you need to leave a mark. You know, your tombstone needs to leave a mark and say, you know, this person left the mark, which we will all forget in 50 to 100 years. But you, you need to do that. The, these are the things that we are told. You know, so as I reviewed that, and I'm thinking about today's passage, and some of you who know what the passage is, is you're looking at me and going, what in the world? Friends, this is the proverbial soup that you and I have been born into. We've been born into this soup, this slowly warming pot of water, and, and most of us, we barely realize that these are the things that we have been raised to believe, for the most part, will lead to human flourishing and to a happy and successful and prosperous life. And so when you go back to my opening question, where would you first look for the keys to successful living? Well, I think most of us would go chapters, Amazon, right? We would look for books. We would look for podcasts. We would look for websites. We would look for places where we would get this information so that we could be happy, so we could be successful, so we could, we could flourish. And, and all of these, believe me when I say this, I think it's true. Maybe you want to check for yourself. All of them will build on the basic teachings of Maslow's hierarchy. That's what they will do. Now, some of them will, will uh, uh, focus them on men, you know, more towards men, others towards women, and they will change from time to time, you know, as, as culture and things change. But the message will essentially remain the same. And the message will be self-improvement. Self-improvement. Well, today, we're going to learn that Jesus has one thing in mind. There is just one thing that you and I need in order to flourish as human beings, in order to have a successful and happy life. Just one thing. Read with me. Chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way the disciples and Jesus. Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Pray with me, would you? Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you again for this day. Father, thank you for this word, for this text. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, uh, you would take us to the core of the lesson that Jesus has, not just for Martha and for Mary and for all of the disciples who were in that room, but for you and for me in this room today, for all of us. Father, I just pray that you would bless us and encourage us as we unpack this word and we learn about this one great thing. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So go figure, I have another question for us today. Why, why would Luke put this story here at the end of chapter 10? Now, I know some of you know that I'm this weird preacher who asks these questions. These are important questions. 
to ask and discover because there's a lesson to be learned here. Why would he put it here? I mean, at first glance, you might think, look, it's a very short story. I've heard it many times. Ladies, please raise your hand if you were super excited not to be here today to hear this sermon preached. Honestly, like... It's, I mean, it's right up there, I think, in most women's minds with, you know, coming to Mother's Day and having the preacher preach on Proverbs 31 woman, right? It's like, please, not again. Like, Martha, I get it. I've definitely heard this passage preached, and I've actually, quite frankly, honestly, at different times, squirmed for some of the women in the room. I have, especially for my wife. I want to encourage you about something here today. I think, I think Martha gets a bad rap. I think you're going to see today she gets a bad rap. I mean, she deserves certain things, but she gets a bad rap at the end of the day. So let me ease your concerns a little bit by saying two things. First, uh, for us to think that this passage is about and for women exclusively is not right. This is for every disciple, everyone who wants to follow Jesus. This is for men and women equally. Yes, two women are definitely part of the story, no question. And that's a great thing. That's an awesome thing. But it's not really about the women. It's about men and women, about disciples. Secondly, my question, why does Luke record this and why here at this point? Well, first of all, Luke is the only writer, we need to note this, the only writer who records a story. So it's a true story. It happened, but, you know, Matthew and Mark and John are like, yeah, true story, but there's some other things we want to say, and, and they don't record this story. But Luke does, and so that's, that's important. It's interesting because I believe... Luke, I hope you'll see today, uh, believed there was two purposes for putting the story here at this time. The first is that, um, that he, he, he's, as you know, writing this orderly account. He wants his good friend Theophilus, I know you guys love it when I say this, to have certainty about everything that he has been taught about Jesus not just from Jesus himself or about Jesus' words, but about all of the, uh, what Paul has been preaching, what all of the apostles have been preaching. He wants them to have certainty and believe it. And, and the last two chapters that we've been in, Luke has been building this case step by step, story by story, about what real Christian discipleship looks like. This is an important point in the story. In fact, it's, 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 it's both a conclusion in one sense about discipleship but it's also a bridge or a segue into the next seven or eight chapters. From chapter 11 to chapter 18, it's going to be really interesting. We are going to sit at the feet of Jesus because in those chapters, he moves from preaching and teaching to the crowds to specifically teaching his disciples, those who he will commission and say, go and make disciples who make disciples. He's going to focus on them We're going to spend, at the rate we've been going, it could be six to nine months in these these chapters, and and we're going to be basically going to a small kind of like theology class with Jesus for those months in these passages. It's It's going to be remarkable. The list of subjects that he's going to teach them about in these eight chapters is immense and broad. Let me give you a few examples. It's going to start next week with, it's a good start, prayer. Disciples, like, Lord, how, we sh- how, should we- how should we pray? We see you praying, and he's going to start with prayer, and then he's going to go from there into teaching about Satan and demons. That'll be fun. Um, he's going to talk and preach about and teach them about God's judgment, about hypocrisy, about persecution, about the Holy Spirit. He will teach on money. 
a few times, that's going to be fun. And uh, possessions, right? How and why to give, what good, good stewardship is supposed to look like on greed and on true contentment. He will also instruct us on divine justice, on humility, on pride, on what it takes to be faithful to Jesus Christ. He'll teach more on the kingdom and specifically how to enter it, how those in heaven rejoice every day when some new person places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's going to teach about marriage. He's going to teach about divorce. He's going to teach about hell, true repentance, forgiveness, and much more on faith. Excited? That's why this story is here, by the way. It's a segue. It's a bridge. It's supposed to get us ready for being taught by Jesus and for wanting every week to sit at the feet of Christ. That's amazing. So we could look at it this way, as I've said already. We're going to go to seminary for a few months, but the good news is it's not some prof, some Glenn, some... It's Jesus, We'll look at his words and what he wants to teach us all the way up to the point of the cross before he enters Jerusalem for his final week before his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, which we will then get into in chapters 19 to 24. So what we're going to see today is that this simple story is very, very important. It tells us within it exactly why Luke thought this was the perfect story to place at this point in his gospel. Your sermon title for today and outline is this. One thing above all else, I hope to show us three things. Number one, the distracted disciple. It's not just Martha. Number two, the disciple's priority. And number three, the disciple's delight. So let's begin with the first two verses again today. I'll put them on screen. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, and listened to his teaching. So as you've heard me say a few minutes ago, this isn't just about and for women. And that said, it's true. This also needs to be said. Women were an integral, an integral part of Jesus' ministry. I heard it said in, in the commentary that I read, and I just put this out there for you, that it's an interesting contrast that when Muslim women read the Bible, the Christian Bible, and they see a story like this about Mary and Martha and other stories about women going to the tomb and involved in the life of Jesus, their hearts break. Why? Because the Koran is only written to men. There are no stories about women. So it breaks their heart. They, they're, they're encouraged by this, and we should be too. But here's the thing. In Jesus' day, the difference with Jesus was this. Women were always a part of his ministry. Yes, he had his 12 men apostles. Certainly he did, and certainly he called men first to follow him and be those leaders and establishers of the New Testament church. But women started following Jesus from the very beginning. Rabbis in that day, Jewish rabbis, had women following them too, but there was a big difference. The women were never usually invited in to the teaching of the rabbi on deep Torah and theological issues. And certainly this would never happen. Women, women would never be invited to sit at the feet of the rabbi, at the foot of the rabbi, ever would they be invited to do that. It would be unheard of. So Luke is not recording this one event, quite frankly, as a nice nod to ladies, to women, because in the ministry of Jesus, they were always there. They were preeminent. We're going to see something amazing about Martha and Mary today that's not just in the text that we're reading. 
So this is the first time that we, we, we uh, pardon me, meet Martha and Mary. They lived in a little town we know from other passages, as we will see, called Bethany. And they were sisters of a man by the name of Lazarus. And so you're going to remember him. He was the man that Jesus rose from the dead. And again, we're going to look at that a little bit later. Jesus loved this family very much. They were very, very special to him. Yes, Jesus had no place to rest his head, but he had people who loved him and welcomed them into their home. And that's what we see here. One of the lessons or reasons why we, we, we see that he loved them, but, but also that, that they, were, they were special to him, was hospitality. I mean, Martha welcomed him, we see in this verse, into their home. She was very hospitable. So not only did she welcome Jesus, but here's what she probably also knew. Boy, he's got a lot of followers. <laughs> he's got these 12, but he's got a bunch of others, like there were 72, right? And, and, and then there's a bunch of women following him. And so she's inviting them into her home, which was probably a very large home. And their family might actually have been well off. But the reality is, is this is one really large missional community group. Amen? And she's welcoming them into her home. Such a very hospitable lady. That is important for us to see. And, of course, we also learn she has this sister, right? And her sister's name is Mary. And Luke simply tells us that she did two things while her sister Martha was, as we see, doing a lot of serving. She sat at the Lord's feet and she listened to his teaching. So, so far, so good. But this wasn't exactly like our missional community groups today, was it? It would appear it wasn't a potluck. (laughs) People didn't bring and help Martha out. She was on top of everything. It would appear. It goes on in verse 40 to say this. But Martha was distracted with much serving. I want to stop there. And you can see the rest of the verses. We'll get to that, that verse. We'll get there. Let's stop there because... This is where we could, frankly, we could get off track. And I've, I've personally seen this get off track a little bit. I'm not being critical of other words. And, and it could turn this way, like we saw last week, into a comparison not just between two women, but between doing and not doing. That's what this could turn into. And that's not what the story is really about. Martha, as I've said already, almost always gets a bad rap, and it's because of this. I mean, Martha is... Pr- Presented sometimes to be, you know, that, that, that busy bee, you know, the type A, you know, the Pinterest freak who's got the, the perfect centerpieces, you know, and she's got everything set up on the tables perfectly. You know, she's running around making sure the candles are lit and the whole room is perfect, right? And every woman in the room is, is like, there's no possible way you can live up to being a Martha. But that's a problem because if you are trying to do that and live up to be a Martha, then, yeah, let's not go there, right? So you can, you can almost hear in this passage, in this passage, you can almost hear based on what we're seeing and presenting that she's probably like banging around in the kitchen, right? Making a lot of noise going, hey, Mary, do you not understand I'm really busy in here? Would somebody pay attention to me and come help me? You can imagine that, but is that really what's going on? Is that really what's going on? I think sometimes that's the impression that we're given but then there's also the, quite frankly, the holier-than-thou, the almost mona, uh, you know, monk-like behavior of Mary, where, where she's elevated into this woman who's just not being possessed like her, her older sister. Martha, Martha's probably the older sister. And she's really being the, the really, you know, uh, the good, holy one. Right? And 
A lot of women don't like Mary, but um, a lot of women do. They want to be more like her. So Martha might just be at the point, like I said, um, ladies, don't you just love this story, like when you think about it? If it's put across that way, so let's be clear about what's really going on here and how it's just really not the case. I think we see three things about Martha that should encourage every woman, but every man here too. First, the truth is she was, listen, she was distracted. That's the word. It's distracted, but it's important we understand what that word literally means, right? The Greek word literally means, if you broke it down, it literally means from around. So the connotation is that she's running around in circles. Okay. She's distracted, right? We read that. And then it tells us that she's distracted with much serving. This is added in an adverbial way. So maybe we could see her actions this way. Maybe she's this great hospitable hostess who, um, of the two women, she's the one who loves to cook. I mean, that's her thing. She loves to cook. She loves to host people. She loves dinner parties, right? She loves to serve, right? And so maybe, maybe what she's doing is she's not only in the kitchen getting everything prepared for the dinner, and she's thinking that that's the most important thing when it maybe isn't. But let's put that aside and just, maybe she's running into the room where everybody's there and she's like, you know, handing out drinks and are you okay? Would you like anything? You know, and she's trying to serve the people and maybe while she's doing that and running around in circles, she's also hearing snippets of what Jesus is preaching and teaching and maybe she's going, I'd like to be there. I'd like to be there too. But, I, but I've got this work to do, right? And, and Mary should know that. Jesus should know that. So she's distracted. Instead, she feels like she's running around in circles and not getting either of the things she wants done. I think that might be part of it. However, the words much serving are actually key. Mary's priority was a bit of a problem. Clearly, it was a problem. And we can tell it is because it became a problem because of what she says directly to Jesus' face in front of her guests. Now, can you imagine this? Lord, you gotta, you got to see the picture. She walks up to the front, right beside Jesus. Mary's sitting right there. All of the people there. She's got her arm folded, tapping her feet. Right? I'm, I'm making it up, but you just got to... I mean, she's not happy, right? But she says directly to Jesus' face, do you not care? Really? That my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. Tell her then to help me. So what's going on here? What's going on here? Well, listen, I think there are some lessons in this. Clearly, her priority isn't right, as we're going to see from Jesus' response. But how might we do that, men and women? I'm going to just talk to the men in the room. You know, I mean, is, it, is it possible you could come to church on Sunday and as soon as the uh, Bible gets opened and the, the Word of God is being preached that you might like, hey, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I, I got to really look after my kids and talk to some of the guys upstairs. You know, we need, to, we need to chat about the Canucks failure last night or, you know, about some other important things. Or, you know, what about a community group when, you know, it's time to go and study God's Word and we might say, 
you know, uh, well, there's this person that's really struggling, and uh, we should, I should probably, you know, be with them rather than in the Bible study because, like, like they need me right now, and I need to be with them. And listen, there, there could be circumstances where that's legitimately true, but it could also be true that you would maybe need to say to that individual, you know what our priority is right now? Let's go sit under the Word of God. Let's go sit under the Word of God. So I, I'll just leave that out with you for you to figure it out in your own minds. How... how Individually, can we be men and women distracted when it comes to sitting under and sitting at the feet of Jesus? I think he considers it to be something very important. So that's, that's number one, the distracted disciple. Number two is the disciple's priority. Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So let's also be clear. She's standing up front beside Jesus, who she's just said what she said to him. And he now calls her out publicly in front of everyone Essentially saying, your priorities are are wrong. You think I came here for a dinner, for a meal. Well, thank you. That's going to be awesome. No. (laughs) I came here for this. I came here to teach. And so she's said to everyone that he's not caring about her and demanding that he tell her, Mary, to help. And I don't know. I don't know how I would have responded, but the reality is is that it's beautiful to see that Jesus is so patient with her. So again, let me just push that back to you and I. And Are are there ever any times when we're a a little bit impatient with Jesus? He's, He's just not doing what we want fast enough. He's just not fixing my wife, my husband, my kids, my employer, my life my sickness, whatever it might be, fast enough. Do we ever tap our foot at Jesus? (laughs) Well, I hope we can hear the words, Martha, Martha, Glenn, Glenn. I I just, you know, we, we can't know for sure, but can you imagine the inflection and the tone coming from Jesus? This is a beautiful It's soft. It's loving. But he's going to call her out publicly over the truth. That's hard. That's a very hard thing. But he's going to do it because he loves her. He he says, look, you're you're anxious. You're, You're running around trying to make everybody's life happy and your life happy through serving and through some hierarchy of, you know, making things perfect, and, and, and this is how you're going to build it, and you're, it's creating anxiety in you. You're very, very anxious, and, and you're troubled about many, many things. You're not only troubled about the things in your own life that you can't make perfect, but you're troubled about the, the things that are going on in your family's life and other people's lives and in the world, politics, and all the rest of it. You're troubled. Focus. <laughs> I want to help you Focus. So all these things Jesus, I believe, says to her are getting in the way of her experiencing the one thing that is above all else. 
the one thing that is really necessary that should take the highest priority, sitting at the feet of Jesus. You know, it's, it's, I know this sounds strange to, for a preacher to be saying this, but people will often have said over history because of this passage, you know, I've been so blessed this last week sitting at the feet of John Piper. You know, or name your preacher. Probably not Glenn Davies, but people say that, right? They're, they're not talking about the individual. They're talking about the individual who's revealing the Word of God and revealing Jesus. That's a good thing when people say that and say that way. And so Jesus is saying, listen, this is the good portion that Mary has chosen, what Mary has taken. And listen, your, your dinner could go cold. Your dinner could burn. What she's partaken of, she'll have forever. She'll have that forever. That's why this is the most important thing. This is the good portion, portion related to a meal. I mean, it's almost like he, you can hear Jesus quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, which is in Matthew 4.4, 4, where he says this, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You can almost hear him saying that, can't you? Because he did say that. Or, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never, ever thirst, ever want for anything. Listen, I got the T-shirt. Do I, do I believe and trust this all the time? Oh, my. Dear Lord. <laughs> it's really... Uh, um, spoken to my heart a lot this week for a number of different reasons. Um, I'm a preacher. I'm in the Word of God every day preparing it. But am I, am I sitting at the feet of Jesus every day? There's a difference. There's a big difference. So this is the crucial point in the Gospel of Luke. When Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem, he now knows that in six to nine months, he's going to be in that last week of his life. Somewhere in that time frame. And he's like, this is it. This is, I've got this much time to pass on as much truth as I possibly can to these men and women who I love dearly. And that's exactly what he does. The story of Mary and Martha, good news, it doesn't end here today. The story doesn't end. They're an amazing sister act with a brother. And we know that they both learned great lessons from Jesus and, and, and that Martha must have put aside the serving for a while and sat at his feet for a few months. And we know that because of what we learn next. And we learn next, as I'm going to show you, that they both, both Mary and Martha, become women of absolute noble character and true disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, how do we know? That's point number three, the disciples' delight. <clears throat> Just before the crucifixion of Jesus... Mary and Martha, you know the story. Their brother, Lazarus, is dying, right? And so they send emissaries to Jesus, who's on a, in, in another town, preaching the good news with his disciples. And they say, you, we know you love Lazarus. Please come, you know, and, and look after him and heal him. And you know what Jesus does, which is really odd? Um, first, he says he, he's not going to die. But then he decides to stay two days longer, two days after Lazarus has died, before he goes, and we read 
in John chapter 11 that he loves this family very, very much. And beginning in verse 21 of John 11, it says this, when Jesus finally arrived and Lazarus is in the tomb, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, even now, I know. How did she know? Because she'd been sitting at his feet and she was believing in him. I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha replies and said to him, I know that he will rise. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. How did she know that? Because Jesus had been teaching them about that over the last six months, and she's learned this. And then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he or she die, yet shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Shall never die. Do you believe this? He asks her. And then Martha says this, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son who is coming into the world. Now, let me ask you a question. Are those words remotely familiar? Remotely familiar. Martha, the server, right? The, the, The woman whose priorities are apparently not right. They aren't. Jesus loves her. She gets the point. She grows in her faith and trust in Jesus Christ by being at his feet and listening to him. But you know what? Other than Peter, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. She is the only person in the New Testament who confesses with her lips that Jesus is the Son of God. A woman and a man. Stories about both. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture. But it gets better. It gets better. Just days before the Last Supper and Jesus' death and burial, we, we, we read this a little further ahead in John's Gospel in chapter 12. It says this, six days before the Passover. So this is the week before Jesus' last week of his life, right? Jesus, therefore, comes to Bethany again where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Look at what it says here next. So they gave a dinner for him. Dinner for him. Look at this. <laughs> Martha served. Of course she did. There's a difference. This was to be a dinner. This is a celebratory dinner because Jesus is back in town and Lazarus is alive and he's well. And Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Then it says, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and she anointed the head, of the feet of Jesus, pardon me, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Well, after she did this, some man who we won't mention made the comment about, well, that's a waste of money. (laughs) Really. Shouldn't be doing that. Jesus replied to that person, leave her alone. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. So I hope you see this. Martha's serving. That's what she does. She's serving. But you know what? 
so is Mary. And in this case, Mary is doing something incredibly, incredibly special. And she was the one who was chosen to do this. You do remember that on the day that Jesus died on the cross, there was no time to prepare his body for burial because the Sabbath was to begin. So he was taken and put in the tomb immediately. Mary gets to be the one as a servant who anoints the feet of Jesus for his burial. It's interesting. Do you know that the word servant is the word diakonos in the Greek, where we get the word deacon? (laughs) These two women are deacons in the church. By the way, if you're a servant in the Rock Church, you're a deacon in the Rock Church, men and women. By the way, if you'd like to sign up to be a deacon in the Rock Church, I will happily bless you and anoint you today to be a deacon. We're all called to be servants of Jesus Christ in the church. Both of these women were exactly that. So let me ask you in conclusion today this. Is it for you today? Is the Word of God, hearing it preached and taught, whether here on Sunday or online or wherever you might, your first priority? Is it? Let me ask you this. What's currently on your bookshelf or on your night table? Right? What podcasts are you listening to? Faithful expositions, sermons of the Word of God, or? Let me encourage you with this. Please hear me. Nothing, nothing, nothing will fill you up, hold you up, raise you up like the Word of God, like sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so let me maybe ask you to do one thing for the next 30 days. Put away your books. Put away the podcasts. Put away the news feed. Boy, that'll be a challenge for some of us, eh? Me too. Put it away and make one thing the priority. Every day, every week, here on Sunday, in community group, Make the Word of God the one thing that makes all the difference in your life. That might just lead you to the key of success and happiness in your life. Pray with me, would you?